0: Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of
1: Liberty Pride. To learn more,
0: head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support.
1: We have an opportunity to actually help North Korean people uh, that are just like us, but they were born in North Korea. Welcome to the Lions
0: of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, shining beacon of liberty Mark Clare it's like a dying alley cat Welcome, my Liberty Kitties, back to another edition of Lions of Liberty, and I've got a really, really interesting interview for you coming today in today's episode, which is, if you're keeping track at home, the 321st episode of this program, that is significant to you because it means you can find today's show notes at the very easy-to-recall slash. Three twenty one, and man, I gotta say, we've been having a blast in the Lions of Liberty Pride lately. Did a whole big roundtable, libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor slash conspiracy corner mashup show last week with myself, Brian, uh, Howie, and Rico. And boy, what a good time we had! We had so much fun. I'm gonna, I gotta share it with the public a little bit. So I'm gonna actually post a preview clip from that show. After today's interview, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But, you know, we also did, I did a special bonus segment with Remzo Martinez talking uh, Thor Ragnarok and some nerdy comics talk. I have a bonus segment from Mike Brancatelli's show, Mike Adelic, that went up last week, as well as a new Degenerate Gamblers. I think there was like four or five different Pride bonuses last week. So just a plethora of fun content over in the Lions of Liberty Pride. Be sure to check that out for as little as five bucks a month. You can help support this show. And another way you can help support the show, if you're looking into into healthcare options right now is by checking out our friends at Health Excellence Plus. You can do that by heading over to com slash health. And just one quick note about today's interview. I was speaking with someone halfway across the world. We were able to get a pretty good Skype connection and get the audio down pretty well, but he was in a public uh, internet cafe sort of thing. So there are some people sort of walking in and out in the background that you hear at various points. But considering how great this content is, uh, I think you guys are going to agree that the payoff is well worth it. So Without further ado, let's get to it. (laughs) My guest today is the Director of Research and Strategy for Liberty in North Korea, an organization dedicated to rescuing and working with North Korean refugees. I'm so pleased to welcome Sokiel Park. Sokiel, are you ready to roar? I'm always ready to roll. Fantastic. That's the right answer. That is the number one <laughs> number one correct answer. Uh, Nessa Keel, i really, really excited to talk to you and get a little bit more into this organization, Liberty in North Korea. I did do an episode about it about three and a half years ago, way, way, way back towards the when I first started this program uh, with a gentleman named Ty Hicks who is working with a, a student liberty organization here in the United States. But um, mm-hmm. that is, you are the first person that I've talked with directly from Liberty in, in North Korea. So we're going to get more into that in just a minute. But first, I just want to learn a little bit more about yourself. I know you've Worked with uh, the South Korean government as well as the United Nations. When did you first take interest in this issue of North Korean refugees? Yeah, sure.
1: So I'm part of the very rare breed of British Koreans. Uh, there's not that many of us, but I was I have born to have and been, I grew I was, up a l- in the UK. I was a little
0: surprised by your accent when I first heard you come. Yeah, out. yeah.
1: People and and I'm also British Korean, and uh, like my dad's side is Korean, and my mother's side is uh, is English, and so I even have like the the biracial like ethnic ambiguity um with the accent but with like a korean name that sometimes people don't think sounds exactly korean <laughs> uh, in the english spelling so i'm a little bit all over the place but i i was born and i grew up in the uk uh, I've been living in South Korea on and off for uh, several years now. Uh, yeah, and now I head up the South Korean office for Liberty in North Korea. So that kind of family background and uh, my dad coming from South Korea, but his parents actually coming from what's now North Korea. I think that, that was my first in to the North Korean issue. But the more I learned, I, you know, and I was into... Uh, Interested in international affairs and so on, the more I realize that North Korea is just so unique. It's so extreme at one end of the scale and so many different things. Uh, so many interesting aspects, whereas the politics and security that gets a lot of attention or the human rights, the humanitarian aspects, the history, the culture, the domestic politics in North Korea. Uh, it's just a, a really fascinating place. And then I think after working with uh, Liberty in North Korea and North Korean refugees and just getting to know people who happen to have been born in North Korea and then have gone through the experience of escaping and becoming a refugee and then resettling in South Korea or elsewhere and just getting to know these people as as friends and, you know, almost as like brothers and sisters, uh, really connecting just in that human level as well. Uh, has really tied me into the issue a lot stronger, I think.
0: I'm kind of curious, growing up in South Korea, what, what are you sort of taught in schools about North Korea, about the history of that conflict? Obviously, in North Korea, they learn a very one-sided version of it. And, uh, you know, I mean, every, no matter where you are, what version of history you learn, there's it's always going to be skewed a little bit. But I'm kind of curious how North Korea is portrayed in the context of of the history of Korea and, and now South Korea.
1: Uh, I mean, there's definitely uh, differences there through generations, uh, in earlier generations, you know, as you could expect, after the Korean War, so in the in the uh, mid to late 50s, 60s, 70s, and also when South Korea was also uh, not a democratic country, uh, the uh, education here and, and especially education around North Korea was more politicized and featured more propaganda and more of a kind of you know nationalistic view of history uh, and so on I think that in general it's got a little bit better since then uh, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the kids are taught these days but uh, you know they they don't actually focus a lot of their curriculum on North Korea uh, and that kind of history uh, there is some focus on the idea of reunification, and so you know, the South Korean government kind of has a mandate uh, to push for the ideal of reunification between South Korea and North Korea. Uh, they do that through um, the education system as well. And so, for instance, one of the things that you know uh, all South Korean kids go through uh, in in elementary school and in high school is these kind of uh like competitions to draw posters for instance espousing the ideal of reunification and it's maybe it's like the equivalent in uh, a lot of western countries where it might be like fire safety you know posters and those (laughs) kind of things that you draw but this but here it's like reunification posters and it's you know it's pretty kind of Surface level and maybe even superficial. And uh, in fact, young South Koreans today are not that interested in the idea of unification and also not that interested or, you know, even aware. Uh, in any kind of deep way of North Korea and what's happening inside there.
0: That's really fascinating to me um, about how they have contests in school uh, of children sort of like making drawings about unification. And I mean, j- just that idea on the surface without digging into it too deeply. If you just told me like, oh, there's a there's a country where school children are taught to uh, draw a poster up based on unifying the country around some sort of you know political scheme, I would think, oh, that sounds like something that might happen in, say, uh, North Korea or <laughs> somewhere like right. that. It's really just interesting uh, Uh, You know, the the perspective you get, because obviously if we we see I've seen several documentaries about North Korean propaganda and we just take it all as bad and we probably should. But um, there's there's propaganda, I suppose, on on all sides of these things.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, a lot of countries, one way or another, whether it's politically driven or just kind of more socially and culturally driven, they have, you know, everybody has their own history that they emphasize and so on. Uh, and South Korea is no different uh maybe you know there's there's an added kind of uh political aspect where th- there is kind of a an official national ideology uh that comes from you know in my view it comes from an ethno nationalism frankly um that Korea should be one country you know this division is artificial. It's you know it, it shouldn't be kind of sustained into the future. The natural state is that one Korean people quote unquote uh, would live in one country governed by one government, and you know basically that would be the sole government, and so it would be a takeover of the whole peninsula by South Korea. There's, that is the official uh, you know kind of narrative, the official ideology, if you like the amount that people actually buy into it and think about it and and those kind of things uh, varies a lot. Uh, And yeah, there's there's a lot of evidence that basically South Korean kids these days, they're not as interested overall.
0: So it's more like an ideal, an ideal that maybe a lot of politicians may formally hold in some way, but uh, the average man on the street isn't necessarily walking around thinking, oh, you know, I just can't wait until we unify Korea again.
1: Exactly. And um, again, you know, the generation that remembers Korea as one country, so before 1945, uh, you know, that generation is dying out, Uh, and, uh, you know, even the generation that has a memory of living through the Korean War, uh, you have to be, you know, into your 70s at this point, and so... Uh, Basically, especially younger people, they've grown up with North Korea as just a a very different place, very different society and country that they're also totally isolated from, right? Even much more so than East and West Germany were ever isolated uh, from each other. You know, a lot of West German uh, schoolchildren and so on visited East Germany. Uh, there was contact between families, you know, there wasn't this level of uh, mutual uh, self-isolation. Of course, East and West Germany also never fought a war against each other. So the relationship was very different between North and South Korea. It is the most, you know, kind of, uh, it's it's the most divided uh, border in the world. There's, you know, there's no traffic going back and forth. There's no phone calls, you know, there's only a, so uh, in a very specific government level, is there any kind of contact? Uh, and so it becomes just a very far away and very foreign place for South Koreans who don't have any memory of anything any different. Uh, so that's that's the situation here. South Korea is effectively an island uh, and you know you can you can very easily fly to other countries. But North Korea is just off limits and people don't really uh, speak or really think about it that much.
0: It's really fascinating. I mean, it's almost like even though we're an ocean away from North Korea, many South Koreans, it sounds like North Korea may as well be as far away as as it is from the United States.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, uh, every now and then I'll go up to the demilitarized zone or uh, the coastal areas where you're actually really close to North Korea and you can – Look across the water and see North Koreans living out their lives, you know, working in the fields wow. on the other side. And it's really surreal. It's, it's really strange that you can see people, and they're that close, and yet they may as well be a million miles away uh, and and they're living in such a different world and then you know you have like south korean families that go to these observation points and so on and they have a bit of a look inside and they're like oh wow is that wait that's really north korea and the dads like you know telling the kids like that right over there that's north korea and the kids are like oh wow that's you know that, that's crazy and then you know they look for 10 minutes and then they go and have lunch you know uh so It is is pretty abstract and far away if you're just living in South Korea. And then also because, you know, because it's right there in a way, people become kind of deadened to the issue of North Korea, even if there are provocations and these kind of things. uh, Because South Korean people have been living with this for literally, you know, more than six decades. And it's been, you know, fairly constant over that time. People become dead into it, people you know, become desensitized, uh, they become apathetic, and they don't think that really things are going to change. They don't think that North Korea is going to change in a significant way and they also can't imagine any kind of War or that kind of change happening, either. It
0: really is fascinating stuff. I mean, it's amazing that you and I can sit here on Skype, I mean, halfway, literally halfway across the world from each other, whereas you can see North Koreans from certain points in South Korea, and you'll never, maybe not never, but I mean, you cannot communicate with them at all. It really is a, a fascinating dynamic. Um, I want to get a little bit into uh, the actual refugees themselves uh, first of all, obviously I think a lot of my listeners are pretty uh, pretty p- politically um, informed and know the general si- uh, situation in North Korea for people there, but uh, maybe you can give us a little insight into what actually drives a North Korean person to get up one day and literally risk not only their lives, it's because not, they're not only taking their own lives um, in, in, at risk when they're crossing a border and, and trying to flee North Korea, but they're also potentially putting whatever remains of their family there in North Korea at risk as well. So what kind of goes through the minds of a refugee from from those you've spoken to uh, that makes them finally just snap and, and just decide, you know, I, I have to physically remove myself from this place?
1: You know, every person uh, is different. Obviously, every, every individual has a different story. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, or or becoming a refugee uh, from any country and going to any other country, everybody's going to have their own individual story. But in terms of the bigger picture and maybe the trends that we see as well, uh, which I think are interesting and important, are that it used to be a little bit more simple and a little bit more just about the food shortages and the desperate economic situation in North Korea. So, for instance, 10 15 20 years ago uh, people who were escaping uh, around then and, and obviously during the, the mid uh, late 90s just people escaping into China because of the famine in North Korea but even after that as well into the 2000s there's still a lot of food shortages uh, still a lot of desperation and so that was the the proximal reason for people escaping uh, in the in that period you know more so like 10 years ago plus the change that we see in more recent years uh, is that, while there's still people that report you know, harsh conditions and adversity and some people escaping for those kind of reasons, in addition, people are escaping because they're learning more about the outside world. They may not have been desperate for food in North Korea, but they learn more about China and South Korea, uh, the relative uh, level of wealth and opportunity in those other countries. And also the relative, you know, massive increases in freedom in both China and South Korea compared to North Korean. Often, you know, Western audiences wouldn't think of China, you know, Chinese people as having freedom or any kind of freedoms. But from a North Korean perspective, Chinese people, you know, and they have heard North Koreans say this, and Chinese people have all the freedoms that they could imagine. You know, Chinese people have freedom of movement, they have freedom of association, freedom of information. Sure the internet is you know certain websites are blocked and so on. But from a North Korean perspective, if you have access to the internet at all, That's a massive amount of information freedom,
0: right? I think not being able to get on Facebook might be the the least of the problems for a North Korean, like learning about the internet,
1: (laughs) exactly. You know, and and from again, from a Western kind of you know, frankly, uh, slightly more black and white and simple perspective, you might say that Chinese people don't have freedom of speech because there's you know, there are certain limits if you get to a certain level uh, of being a dissident, but from a North Korean perspective. There's, you know, you're much freer to speak your mind in China than you are in North Korea. And so that's, you know, the Chinese example and model uh, and also South Korea, uh, as, you know, people learn about these alternative realities and different options through word of mouth and uh, North Koreans who have escaped and then then feeding information back into the country, but also foreign media. Uh, films, television programs, and different types of literature and media that are smuggled into North Korea on USB drives, micro SD cards even, and then consumed on using different technology, uh, which has proliferated in North Korea in recent years. And so as North Korean people inside the country learn more about the outside world, learn more about their relative backwardness, the, the constraints on their life, compared to what it could be in the outside, more people are escaping for that kind of reason. So broadly speaking, that's more of a political uh, type of factor. And so there's a shift from economics to politics uh, if we take those terms broadly.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that, that seems to me to be a, a very significant change from people for, you know, 50 years or so almost only leaving North Korea due to literal survival and not being able to get food that, that, that you know, in their mouth. Uh, whereas now you're actually seeing people that are making more of a conscious decision based on what they're learning about the rest of the world around them. I'm kind of curious a little bit more about how how they're getting, you know, this media. I mean, you say that it's being smuggled Smuggled into North Korea on hard drives and DVDs and that sort of thing. But who is doing the smuggling? Like, like who is who is going out of their way to, I, I would presume, risk serious punishment for the North Korean government to, to bring this media into North Korea?
1: Sure. So there's, um, you know, there's maybe three ways that media, uh, foreign media, uh, and information gets into North Korea. The first way, and in some ways the most, you know, maybe the most significant in terms of quantity uh, is just organic trade uh happening on supply and demand logic uh where there's a demand for foreign media in north korea uh you know young north koreans in particular talk about you know state media and a lot of ordinary north koreans only have access to one television channel and the content is terrible and the production values are like it looks like a horrible kind of 1970s 1980s you know, South Korean or, or Chinese film, and the storylines are all very political, and they all have kind of like a political, ethical, or, or ideological message. And so, basically, people don't watch that stuff. Somehow, uh, Kim so, Jong
0: Un is is the hero of at the end of everyone.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so, there's you know, if there's access to, for instance, South Korean television programs or. Chinese films and, and uh, dramas and so on, that stuff is mind-blowing for the North Korean audience. And so there's a huge demand for it. And that means that there are Chinese traders and Korean Chinese traders on the, on the Chinese side of the border that know about that demand and they supply it uh, in amongst the other kind of trade that they're doing uh, with their North Korean partners. And a lot of that is smuggled stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's, and it's going in along with the technologies and other, uh, you know, products uh, that are needed by the North Korean people. That includes today, you know, not just like laptop computers and, and tablets and, and mobile devices and these kind of things, but also solar panels so that people can actually generate electricity because the government is very bad at providing electricity to citizens. Wow. And so all sorts of stuff is going in just according to market demand, but also there are people intentionally and strategically curating and even creating some content to go into North Korea. And then they, for instance, may pay smugglers or provide it to smugglers uh, so that it gets into the country. And then the other thing is just uh, through the airwaves. right? There's there's still uh, foreign radio broadcasts that are being sent into North Korea And in a lot of countries today, maybe we, we, you know, the importance of radio has gone down, but in North Korea, it's still the only way to access real-time foreign news and information uh, across the whole country. And so radio is still important and people are accessing that and then sharing it by word of mouth with other people. And then there's also television signal that's accessible in certain parts of the country. Uh, depending on the geography and if you're close enough or if you kind of have a bit of a line of sight to South Korea or China uh, and you have a television set that can, can pick that up. I
0: was wondering what are some of the biggest challenges for a North Korean looking to escape. Obviously, I mean, I th- think just making that decision itself is probably just a huge uh, emotional, personal challenge for someone knowing the great risk that there is. But um, maybe you could detail more some of the actual physical challenges that they literally have to meet along the way, whether it's crossing the border into China. But I mean, as I, I've learned from from you guys, I know you had to. A great video out called Sleep Well, My Baby, and we'll link to that in the, um, the show notes of the show. But that sort of details a, a, a refugee from North Korea who's found herself in China. Um, and it, I don't, I don't want to say things got worse because it was probably pretty bad before, but now she finds herself basically sold to this man in China who's abusing her and raping her. And, and that's the situation that many North Korean refugees do find themselves in. They find themselves leaving North Korea, leaving a horrible situation, but often finding themselves in a, a, a different horrible situation.
1: Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, maybe for listeners, if we just zoom out for a second, uh, North Korea does border on three countries. So obviously it borders on South Korea. It also borders on China to the North and it borders on Russia, uh, just a tiny sliver of border uh, all the way on the East Coast, uh, the Northeast part of North Korea. In terms of going from North Korea to South Korea, Obviously, if that was easier, then I'm sure that a lot of people would try it, but it's almost impossible uh, because the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, is it, it's not a demilitarized zone, right? There's, uh, there's a massive amount of militarization on both sides of uh, that border. And so roughly every year, there's one frontline North Korean soldier that actually defects directly across the demilitarized zone. Uh, it's very risky they can be shot by the North Korean side if they desert their post and try and get to South Korea. Uh, they could get you know, blown up on a limelight. Uh, it's extremely risky, but a, about one person a year uh, does actually make that incredible and frankly a little bit crazy journey. And then a handful of people come uh, through the sea, typically over the West Sea. There have been, even been people that have swum from North Korea to South Korea and people coming in, you know, kind of rafts and uh, boats and those kind of things. That is also extremely risky and extremely difficult uh, to even, you know, procure a boat and then try and get to, uh, to South Korea uh, through, the, uh, you know, through the sea border there. And so it only leaves the northern border. Um, the border with Russia is almost irrelevant. It's very small, and it's not actually that good if you're a North Korean refugee and you're in Russia because there's not a clear route out of Russia to then get to South Korea. The Russian authorities also uh, not not guaranteed to be friendly towards North Korea. Probably
0: a little bit more difficult to uh, to fit in there as a, as a North Korean showing up in Russia as well.
1: Yeah, sure. And it's also you know you're talking about the far east of Russia, and it's and it's a far way even to get to Vladivostok. There's, you know, it's very desolate, so it's not a good place for a refugee. Uh, so it basically leaves China. And so thousands of people probably are trying to escape into China each year. Uh, and um, over the past previous, you know, uh, five years or so, roughly 1,500, 1,400 North Koreans have made it to South Korea per year an unknown number of people uh, will be arrested in China or, you know, will fail in their attempt to uh, escape North Korea and then come through. Uh, and in terms of the, the dangers that you face, you know, even backing up, it's if you're not from the border region itself, it's difficult to even get to the border region. You might have to pay bribes. You might have to have connections uh, to go from an interior province in North Korea To the border. So that's one of the reasons why actually so many of the North Koreans who do escape and make it all the way hit South Korea are from towns that are literally on the border or near the border uh, with China. It's then a, you know, it's not a massively strongly guarded border between North Korea and China. It's quite long, um, but, you know, there are border fences. Uh, There are border guards, you know, the the North Korean side does have guard posts with uh, soldiers, you know, that uh, can potentially shoot people that are trying to escape, Um, but they can also be bribed, Uh, they're, they're very poorly paid, very poorly supplied. And so that 's how a lot of the smuggling of trade and also people happens uh, is bribing these border guards to kind of turn a blind eye as people are crossing back and forth between North Korea and China but then you've you know you 've uh, put a lot on the line and you 've finally escaped North Korea and you find yourself in China, which is a huge country, and you have to try and get all the way through it from typically the route is from Northeast China, the border of North Korea, all the way into South China, or areas that are sometimes referred to as Southwest China, from where you can then cross out of China into Southeast Asia, uh, where you're a lot safer and you can get resettlement to South Korea or the United States. And so if you imagine yourself as a, you know, as a non-Chinese person, not speaking Chinese, not knowing people, not having documents, not having money, And you put yourself on one side of China and you have to get to the other side uh, of that huge country without being detected. uh, I don't think that I would make it, you know, put it that way. In fact, I've stood on the border of North Korea and China and I've looked into the Chinese side and I'm trying to put myself in the mind of a North Korean person who's escaped. And my very quick conclusion was it's not even worth it. I may as well just go back home to North Korea and get lesser punishment than trying to make it through China and then get, you know, almost inevitably caught at some point. So uh, it is extremely difficult. That's why there are so few people that do make it all the way. And that's why, you know, we obviously think it's so important to try and help North Korean refugees uh, who have been able to escape North Korea, but then they have to get all the way through China, and so to actually give them an option to come through, uh, just you know, as a kind of humanitarian imperative. As you mentioned, if you're a North Korean refugee in China, it's not just the threat of being caught and sent back, and then you know, if you are sent back, then you're facing torture, you're facing forced labour, uh, and a range of harsh punishments. If you're in China and uh, you know you're a North Korean woman, and a lot of North Korean refugees are female, there is a high risk of being exploited, including being trafficked, being sold into a forced marriage, uh, being forced to work in a brothel or in uh, kind of online sex chat rooms uh, and that kind of you know invisible industry. Uh, where the, the exploitation of women is rampant uh, so there's, there's definitely a lot of threats that North Koreans face um, but uh, you know some people are still amazingly able to make it all the way through and frankly it's a privilege to be able to be a part of helping uh, some of those people to make it to freedom and safety.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm just curious. Also, what what is China's official policy in regards to uh, North Korean refugees? If they if they catch a North Korean refugee, do they just immediately ship them right back?
1: Um, so China's policy uh, is basically according to an agreement that they have with the North Korean government that goes back to I think 1986. It goes back to way before any kind of significant uh, refugee flows uh, came online. You know, back then. China and North Korea were much more similar countries in terms of uh, their economics and even politics, and so there wasn't a lot of people crossing back and forth between North Korea and China back then. Uh, That agreement has become a lot more relevant now as more North Koreans are motivated to try and escape North Korea and and go into China and also get through China, and so uh, the Chinese government nonetheless still Uh, you know, operates according to that agreement, which says that if North Koreans have left North Korea without uh, explicit North Korean government permission, then they will, you know, and if they're detected, then they will be arrested and returned, repatriated to North Korea. And so, you know, North Korea is still a country where if you want to leave the country you have to get official government permission in order to do that
0: I can't imagine that permission is granted uh, very often right,
1: and you know it's uh, you know there's obviously permission available to diplomats and North Korean elites and people that are trying to make money for the North Korean government uh, and traders and these kind of people and then some of the people who are going overseas to um, work and then a lot of that money on you know, their pay gets limited to the North Korean government as well. I'm kind
0: of curious, Akil, did, uh, Just to interrupt yeah. you for a second do do we ever do you ever see defections from any of those higher level people in the North Korean government who do actually get sent on diplomatic missions or sent to you know per, you know make trade deals? Do we ever see people like that saying you know Hey, I may be living living a high life in North Korea for a North Korean, but I can see what's going on here, and maybe it's better for me to just take off. Do we ever see a, a refugee? I guess man, maybe they're not referred to that. That level of things but does that ever occur
1: yeah sure uh, there have been uh, several cases uh, even in recent years the most famous one from last year was uh, Taeong on uh, he was the deputy ambassador for North Korea in London a senior diplomat uh, and he had ma- actually managed to get his whole family uh, you know in- including his wife and two sons in the UK at the same time and uh, he then defected to South Korea, you know, uh, obviously through the UK. Uh, and so that was, you know, pretty high profile. Uh, he said that a big part of that was obviously his own disillusionment with the North Korean system, North Korean government, but also thinking about his son's future. Uh, you know, his sons had experienced life in the UK and had gone to school in London. And he, he, you know, his, in his words, he said that uh, he found it very difficult to kind of send them back to North Korea and to live, you know, the, the rest of their lives in North Korea after they've experienced the outside world. Uh, there have been other North Korean diplomats actually that have defected to South Korea and to other countries uh, and, and other North Korean government officials, not just diplomats that have defected. Sometimes it's kept pretty quiet for obvious reasons. Um, but every now and then it kind of uh, gets talked about a little bit and so we do, do hear of it. That's, those are really significant because they have intelligence value and uh, you know, we can learn interesting things about the you know, some of the inside track of the North Korean government uh, but in terms of numbers it is more so ordinary North Koreans that are escaping uh, you know, through China and then Southeast Asia and coming to South Korea.
0: I know many of you are facing major decisions with your healthcare right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own health care and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see and what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. So let's talk a little bit more about where your organization Liberty in North Korea comes into things. How do you end up um, actually hooking up with these refugees and what is the process for ensuring that they do get safe passage from China back to South Korea?
1: Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, as, as I'm sure you'll understand, uh, it's limited what we can share because, Uh, The Chinese government would be interested in some of those things. And so we have to keep uh, a lot of things under wraps for operational security. But in terms of how people connect with us, uh, there's there's broadly a couple of different ways. Uh, One is, you know, there, there are North Koreans who have escaped North Korea and they've been in China for sometimes several months, sometimes several years, and even maybe over a decade, especially in the case of some of the North Korean women who have gone into China and then they've been living with a Chinese man in, in a kind of you know, common law marriage for, for more than 10 years. Uh, we have networks and contacts on the ground, basically, that are able to identify some of these people and then give them an option to get out of China if they want uh, through our network. and and obviously to kind of vet them uh, to make sure that they're they're safe to come through our network before that. So that's one way uh, and that does end up bringing through again people that have just left North Korea and also people that have left North Korea many years ago. And the other way is uh, often through defectors who have already come to South Korea and they have family members still in North Korea and they're staying in contact uh, some of the time Uh, And they may be speaking directly on the phone. Uh, This is possible if you're in North Korea in the border region close to China and you have a Chinese mobile phone that has been smuggled into the country and you're in range of the Chinese mobile phone network. Uh, so that does apply to a lot of the border regions and a lot of those Chinese mobile phones have been smuggled in. And so it means that, you know, some of our North Korean friends that are now living in South Korea, they get phone calls, you know, just at at random times. Uh, and it's a Chinese mobile phone, but it's somebody in North Korea that's calling them. It's pretty incredible, but it's actually happening quite a lot. And then people are also sending money through broken networks and so on. But then, you know, they may try and bring their family members through or, or their you know younger brother says they want to come to South Korea and join them. And so that means that it's kind of easier for uh, the family member in South Korea to refer that person to our network so that we may even know them if, when they're still in North Korea. And then when they cross into China, we can try and help them as kind of quickly, safely, and smoothly
0: as possible. Oh, and I, I believe I saw on your site that it costs about $3,000 to uh, to rescue a refugee. A decent amount of money, but really a small amount of money if you think about what it actually accomplishes. Uh, the fact that you're completely changing some, somebody's life, someone who might not even make it uh, you know, out of China, uh, you're actually giving them a chance to have a life. So um, that's really a, a very small amount if you really think about the impact that it has right. on, on somebody's life. Can you maybe break down just a little bit um, what some of those costs actually go to?
1: These costs, uh, they do go up and down, of course, and um, but we want to have transparency to our supporters and we want to, you know, provide as much information as we can without, you know, compromising operational security uh, and, you know, just kind of being pragmatic about it as well. Um, so, in fact, you know, this year, it's become a lot more difficult to help North Korean refugees in China. There have been a lot of crackdowns. There have been some Public media reports of this as well. There's been a lot that's gone unreported. Uh, There was a case actually even just this weekend that was reported uh, in Reuters and the New York Times of a group of North Korean refugees that were arrested in China. A lot of different people have noted this increase in crackdowns in China. That has actually increased the costs uh, and uh, especially kind of in the areas closer to North Korea. Nonetheless, those costs, you know, go to all aspects of bringing North Korean refugees through, including just the the physical transport, the, you know, the the payment and the cost for the people that are actually helping them. You know, you can think of them as kind of the refugee guides, uh, the food, accommodation, any kind of medical costs uh, and those kind of supplies. So like you say, you know, $3,000. It's a lot of money. Uh it's a three thousand mile journey though, and it has to be done completely secretively. And so, you know, it obviously amounts to about uh a dollar per mile of that journey. So in thinking of it in that way, uh I agree, you know, for the impact that you get, uh it's uh You know, it's uh, a lot that can be gotten out of that kind of contribution. And then I would also add that there is all of this humanitarian value to helping North Korean refugees. But we also actually think that there's a really important strategic value to helping North Korean refugees, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're not just about trying to help North Korean refugees. You know, we don't want to drain the country of people and kind of, quote unquote, solve North Korea by just emptying the country of population.
0: Yeah, you're not trying to just pull everybody out so it's just Kim Jong-un and, and, and right, two of his exactly. best friends left. You That's want to actually we, change we, things.
1: We, we want to see uh, that system, uh, which is horribly repress- repressive and closed and stifles North Korean uh, people's human potential. We want to see that system change, and we want to see it open up, and we want to see North Korean people be able to live good lives and fulfill their potential in their homeland and we think that that will uh, inevitably happen in the future and in a lot of ways that change and opening is already happening at a low level and in a gradual way but we think that North Korean refugees have a crucial role to play in that as well. Not only are they some of the best sources of information and insight into what's happening inside North Korea. North Korea is different to any other country in that you can't go in and do research on the ground and kind of see what's really happening uh, in any kind of systematic way in, in a way that you would do in any other country. Uh, it's much more closed off to that kind of research. So speaking with people who escape is some of the you know the best information that we can get, but also the information and the money and resources goes the other way as well. Uh, You know, North Korean refugees are staying in contact with their family members and are sending resources and money directly to them through these broken networks after they've escaped and so the economic changes and the information changes and the social changes that we learn from North Korean refugees that are happening today are actually also being accelerated by North Koreans who have left and are sending these change inputs through these illicit channels and so uh, you know, we need to bring forward change in North Korea and North Koreans who have escaped the country, but are able to link back in are a crucial population to work with to that end as well. So there's helping North Korean refugees from the humanitarian standpoint, but also from the strategic uh, position as well sure,
0: and i uh, I mean hopefully it could be some sort of domino effect where once enough North Koreans leave and uh, live a much better life uh, um, whether it's in South Korea, whether they end up in the United States, wherever they may end up uh surely it's obvious to anyone who communicates them that life is much much better for them outside of North Korea um, and hopefully you know with with enough information and enough of that back and forth, it can actually start to change uh, the the hearts and minds of the people over time as opposed to just uh, that sort of initial reaction of we have to get out of here, and then hopefully it can just be a, a, a kind of thing where people do actually change their point of view and and really change the culture of North Korea because ultimately that's that's the only way these things are going to change. Uh, the the reason Kim Jong Un can stay in power obviously there's a certain amount of force that is used, but at the end of the day the the people that are in North Korea far outnumber the people that uh you know the, that are running the country. I mean if the entire right. population sort of awakened to things, they certainly could physically overwhelm and and change their situation immediately. So I think changing their point of view, it, it's one thing to, to be watching movies and, you know, TV shows that, that, that are getting smuggled in there, but obviously it has a much greater impact if they're able to make a phone call, which is mind blowing to me. And I hadn't heard about that to, uh, to a, a phone call to a family member who is actually physically in South Korea. I mean, that, that's that gotta just be a, a t- totally mind blowing experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think bigger picture here, uh, There's so much focus on North Korea, especially this year. And with the Trump administration, you know, it's gone up another level. Uh, But all of that focus pretty much is going on national security and, you know, North Korea's nuclear weapons program and missiles and the mutual threat rhetoric and those kind of things. Now, international security is important, definitely. But in a really significant way, if we look at this as a kind of holistic situation, uh, if we focus a lot on that, then we're kind of playing to the North Korean government's game. We're playing on North Korean government uh, territory. That's that's how they want to define the relationship. You know, That's what they want us to pay attention to. And that is in a lot of ways where they're strong as well. Uh, you know on the hard kind of military security stalemate standoff and all these kind of things but it's this low level quieter economic social cultural information all of these kind of things the united states south korea basically the rest of the world is so much stronger than north than the north korean government on economics on culture on information on media and all of these things and yet we don't, uh, we don't take advantage of that kind of unique capability that this side has, so to speak. Uh, and so, you know, a lot more focus on the North Korean people and not just North Korean missiles uh, and more strategies and help for this positive change, which is already happening uh, and can be brought forward, can be made to happen faster, uh, I think is really the bigger picture that we should be attending to rather than just lasering in on Kim Jong-un and nuclear weapons. Oh,
0: Sakil, I think this is very, very important work that you guys are doing at Liberty in North Korea. Uh, like you said, not just for the you know, person-by-person humanitarian aspect, but for the potential to really change things in the, in the longer term. And so I really uh, really appreciate the work you all are doing. So Saqil, if you wouldn't mind, just give everybody a quick run-through of all the ways they can find your organization, Liberty in North Korea, and how they can reach out and help.
1: The first place, absolutely, is our website that's libertyinnorthkorea.org, uh, libertyinnorthkorea.org. Uh, we're, of course, on you know the major social media channels as well. Uh, give us a follow on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with our activities uh, and the media that we put out and interviews with North Korean refugees and those kind of things. If you're interested in learning more about North Korean refugees, and the issue more broadly, uh, and also helping as well. Uh, we have a campaign right now uh, that's at refugeerescues.org, uh, refugeerescues.org, uh, and that's a direct way that listeners can contribute, uh, whether through just straight donations or can set up a fundraising page uh, and mobilize their community and their, and their friends and so on uh, to help a North Korean refugee. You know, the issue of North Korea often feels very impossible feels very distant but at the end of the day it may be it may be a cliche it may be cheesy but it's about people uh, and it's about individual people and we have an opportunity to actually help north korean people uh, that are just like us but they were born in north korea Uh, and so um, you know, we couldn't do any of this kind of work without our community of supporters around the world. And so we absolutely appreciate it. Again, it's a privilege to be able to do this kind of work. Uh, and yeah, I look forward to talking more with you and uh, talking more with your listeners in future.
0: Absolutely, Sakil. It was a privilege having you on the show and uh, hearing more about li- the great work you guys are doing at Liberty in North Korea. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Why you see the book in a home? Alright friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with So Kiel Park of Liberty in North Korea. This is absolutely an organization worth looking into, worth discussing with your friends and family. This is uh, should be very nonpartisan. This shouldn't be too controversial a subject to bring up because I think in the case of North Korea it's about the most extreme example of uh, statism we could ever imagine. We might like to uh, shout about taxation being theft and uh, that sort of thing to our friends and family, but that doesn't always work. But most people should at least be able to agree, despite their political biases, that what's going on in North Korea is absolutely terrible, absolutely unacceptable, and helping people in the way that liberty in North Korea is really has like a two-pronged effect, as Sokiel discussed. Not only are you helping someone, which is a wonderful thing, but you're hopefully potentially laying the seeds for that country itself to actually undergo some change as people start to realize that there is a world outside of North Korea and that people are generally much better off not living under the thumb of Kim Jong-un. So I really do encourage you again to check into Liberty in North Korea, a fantastic organization, almost as fantastic as the podcast that we produced in the Lions of Liberty Pride. Now, I kid, I kid. They're doing very important work. We're just having some fun and spreading the ideas of liberty. But I do, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, want to give you a quick little preview clip of the crazy fun bonus show we just did in the pride we talked about all sorts of things from uh, the jfk documents to uh, a lot of the news coming out about vegas some crazy reddit conspiracies about possible saudi arabia tie-ins and we also touched on the texas shooting which of course uh, you're going to hear about right now in this clip
2: the church shooter recently before they announced his name they scrubbed his facebook shit
0: really uh, yeah who's that i heard it was all uh a- like atheist stuff like anti-god stuff
2: yeah yeah people got some snaps beforehand but they, they, like, they want to act like took it all down
0: they want a, they want the narrative that it's the presence of the gun that causes these crimes so i think right, yeah. any kind of motive they don't even want i don't even know if it's politically motivated they just don't want oh motive was god well we you know he hates religious people well yeah. that doesn't sound like a good motive worst, they, worst, they managed to keep that this the, is the uh, worst
2: narrative the, the ever up this is the worst narrative ever. An atheist came in and shot Christians with illegally gotten guns. And then he was taken down by an, a law-abiding NRA member with like a concealed carry permit.
0: (laughs) It really is the ultimate anti-left narrative, (laughs) It has every element that really says that this is... I couldn't believe this shit. I heard people at work, because you know I work with some fucking psycho idiots, and I love them all, but I mean, it's really only a couple people that are really extreme. Some of the people are just kind of like, you know, they're nodding their head to go along with it, but you know, they're just like, don't really care as much. One person in particular was actually like mocking the people that like um you know that that tracked down the guy and shot the guy and and like stopped him like, oh, these these Texas hicks, oh, they're, like, just, like, going after a guy. Like, they're the cops or something. Like, oh, so they should have not gone after him? They should have just allowed him to leave? Like, Kill this more is psychotic people. thinking. Absolutely psychotic thinking. Only these magical people with badges should be allowed to go stop someone. You know, they should, who knows where he's going? He might just be going to his truck to get more guns or more, or more ammo. You don't know he's fleeing the scene. Even if he is fleeing the scene, you stop someone that just shot 20 people. That's a thing you should do. If you can.
2: Yes. Man, I'm actually... I've got a concealed carry permit. I never carried concealed. All this shit happening, though, people are going crazy. Like, the left is insane. I'm thinking about actually starting to carry a lot when I'm somewhere where it's legal.
1: Yeah. Like Michigan.
2: Like, here in Virginia, it's not legal to carry in church or, like, a school or a government building or...
0: (laughs) Well, all the places how he likes to pick up chicks.
2: (laughs) Well... I also can't carry my, my office, but we do have armed guards with like, assault rifles and dogs, so yeah, I'm right all right there. And you can't you're go.
0: They have the monopoly on violence there.
2: You can't honestly. drink when you're concealing or carrying, right? Oh, yeah, there's that too. Bars <laughs> well, that's is why another you never place. conceal
0: carry. <laughs> so that'll <laughs> <is laughs> work 90% of your day. What about hard drugs? Like, I don't the even bars. know when I could. <laughs> That was just a taste of the latest bonus show that we've posted for our wonderful, wonderful patrons. And the Lions of Liberty Pride. There are all sorts of different levels you can pledge at. We actually just introduced a $100 a month pledge level, which sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but if you are advertising a product, or a podcast, or a blog, this level actually lets you advertise on this podcast one episode per week at a tremendous value, uh, considering the number of people this program reaches. It is a really great deal if you do have something out there to advertise and want to support this show at the same time. Of course, there's a lot of lower tiers. 25 bucks a month, you get to hop on our monthly conference call where we talk about the show, take advice from you guys, uh, bounce back some ideas, and really just have a good old time. And you also get a huge, huge discount, 30% off all of our merchandise at our store over at lionsofliberty.store. At 10 bucks a month, you just get a free t-shirt, and at 5 bucks a month, you don't get really anything free, but you do get a small discount at the store, and of course, tons and tons of exclusive audio content. Like I said, I think we had five different pieces of audio drop last week. Uh, we're doing Conspiracy Corners, we're doing Bonus is- Is it a Crime? Bonus segments with guests like Tom Woods, Julie Browski, Scott Horton, Dave Smith. Really having a blast in there, and we're raising the funds to pay for what we're doing here and growing this show, putting the money back in, which we're going to be doing with some big ad campaigns pretty soon here, thanks to your guys' contributions. So please do check that out at lionsofliberty.com slash support. Please do check out all the programming we do here at Lions of Liberty. Of course, we have three programs a week, starting with this show, the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast every single Monday with me and Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday brings you into electric Liberty Land for your weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty. And of course, John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his look at the broken criminal justice system approaching episode 100, I should say. And I know he's got some really big plans for that one, so be sure to hit that subscribe button. You don't want to miss episode 100 of Felony Friday. It's going to be huge. You don't want to miss anything. All you got to do is hit that subscribe button on iTunes in Stitcher. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and a great review. That really, really helps us grow this show at no cost to yourself. Friends, it's been a blast. Until next time, live long and live free.